0: Hi there everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers.
1: That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. And
0: welcome to a spooky Halloween episode because this is episode... I don't know what episode it is but it's coming out on the 30th and tomorrow is Halloween. So if you're cuddling... I was gonna say cuddling in bed listening (laughs) to us... (laughs)
1: You know, it's a romantic evening. If yeah. you and your loved one, you cuddle up in bed and cuddle up put in on bed, those classic <laughs> gaming brothers. <laughs> put on those
0: classic gaming brothers. To be honest, I think the only people that listen to us in bed are the people who need us to fall asleep, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure there are people that are like, what's the most boring podcast around? <laughs> it's classic gaming brothers. Sex falling asleep in the studio.
1: I'm falling asleep right now. Well, <laughs> today is not a sleepy episode. Today is a scary episode.
0: yeah. Oh, I think almost the entire episode is themed spooky ways. In fact, every game that we're going to talk about in every section of today's podcast
1: is a horror game is a little spooky
0: yeah or or,
1: or it's like horror themed or yeah or has horror elements
0: or is vaguely horror related (laughs) or Or there's monsters or you know there's six degrees of kevin bacon
1: (laughs) yeah right well seth on the topic of spooky games what spooky games have you been spooky playing
0: Ooh. so i've been recently playing if on winter's night for travelers which is a story-driven Point and click adventure game because what else is new? And it does have a little bit of horror elements attached to it. It covers a story of four characters and takes place in the 1920s. It was uh, developed and published by Dead Idol Games. So I played a little bit of the early part of the game. I haven't got Through the entirety of the game, it is pixel art, and you start off. You're on a train, and a guy that kind of looks like Anubis talks to a guy that kind of looks like a skeleton, and they're talking about why they're on the train. And I assume the train is going somewhere where dead people go, and the four characters who you then go into their stories. think they're all dead, but that's just my assumption from literally just the intro of the game. But I'll find out as I play through the game. Though I. would say that I'm actually pretty good at predicting tropes I guess probably from watching a lot of sitcoms in my life I'm very good at predicting how things kind of will end but my wife gets mad at me because I'll end up being like and then this thing's gonna happen she's like how did you know that that person was gonna get like arrested or shot or whatever and I was like just a trope but anyway I've been uh, playing if on winter's night for travelers been really digging the story I also really like the pixel art I think I mentioned that already but I really started to like the pixel art even more so with the way that they presented the adventure element of it Uh, you start off with this character who's in rome who's in a hotel and you're in a bedroom and there's and it's an isometric view and you can move your character around through this isometric view and there's like shadowy areas off to the other side and as you go through those shadowy areas it just transitions into like the next room and the other room goes dark and it kind of concentrates on the room that you're in and the lighting is just something that i really noticed and i thought they really did a great job with the shadowing and the lighting of the game, and brought forward kind of almost as much realism as you can with pixel art, but did a solid job. I really enjoyed the artwork, and is something that really kind of is got me even more like beyond the interesting story. Got me like I was like, oh, I actually think I'm gonna continue playing this game. And uh, another f- interesting fact about If on Winter's Night for Travelers is that it's free. Ooh. So you could just go on Steam and download the full game for free. So if you like adventure games and you want a new adventure game and you don't want to spend any money, go download this game. It's free. So Zach, uh, what have you been playing?
1: Well, Seth, to get myself into the spooky mood, I've been revisiting a game that uh, we've previously talked about and actually streamed a long time ago. And that game is Phasmophobia, which is uh, a game that was released in 2020 by Kinetic Games. And uh, it's a game where you hunt ghosts.
0: They've updated it since.
1: Yes, that's one of the reasons why I was playing uh, was because they've done some pretty major updates in terms of uh, not just graphics, but also um, some of the gameplay mechanics have been slightly tweaked and they've made some improvements. One of the things they updated, which I think was nice, is in the older versions of the game, the difficulty levels were assigned to the actual places you go. So the smaller houses were often like easy and then when you get to the bigger places, it's intermediate and then you get to the even bigger places, it's like hardcore. Um, now you can actually manually adjust the difficulty level for any level so you could go to like the school which was considered the hardest level and set it to easy if you just want to go to the school and get spooked by a ghost Uh, it's still large level so you probably should go there with multiple people but you know they've they've made some adjustments and stuff like that Uh, another thing they did was they totally redesigned the starting room that you are in the like oh yeah the
0: little house the or the, house. the hub yeah. I guess the hub space it's
1: now like two floors uh, with a little loft that you can go to that has uh some physics games you can play with like uh there's a uh, cornhole set you can throw oh. the cornhole beanbags and there's a Jenga set and you can pull the Jenga pieces off and so I think they just wanted to kind of like show you how much the physics have improved in the past few updates uh but it's it's a you know it's it's a fun game it, it can be pretty spooky the game does use your microphone so it's able to sometimes pick up on things that you say uh so like for example if you know the name of the ghost not necessarily the type of ghost but the name of the ghost like if its name is jeffrey and you say jeffrey you might trigger the ghost to attack you or yeah. like target you the, the point of the game though for those who don't know is you're trying to identify the type of ghost you might know his name but you don't know if he's like a djinn or a banshee or a wraith or a uh, poltergeist so there's all the different types and they've added a few new ones i don't I forget what they're called like the actual types of ghosts but they're they added a few new ones. I know one they added is called The Twins, Ooh. which is uh, a pair of ghosts that will haunt you. They've done some pretty cool things with the, the game since uh, I've I, we last played it a few years ago. Uh, they've added a few new maps. There's now a campsite that you can go to, and I think they've updated a bunch of the houses and stuff, but uh, it's been pretty fun, fun. to play. Uh, when I was playing it with some of my friends, we found a Ouija board, and we started using it, and then the Ouija board exploded, and I died, oh. uh, and it was not very fun, but my friends were like, uh-oh, Zach's dead now, but it's okay if you die in the game people can take a photo of your body and you get all your money back because oh you get yeah insurance because insurance. that's right yeah.
0: Uh, i was gonna say if you died in the game you don't die in real life
1: i hope not otherwise i'm a ghost maybe you are well for today's spooky episode we're going to be talking about a spooky series and that series specifically the first game of it is splatter house that's a,
0: that's a fun game I love, I, I'm I a big fan of Splatterhouse.
1: Yeah, why don't you tell us about your memories, Seth?
0: I don't have really have any memories of Splatterhouse. Oh! <laughs> so I learned about Splatterhouse recently-ish through my obsessive watching of Snestrunk Drunk on YouTube because his videos are great because they're short and they explain things about games that I generally have not played a lot of because he talks a lot about SNES games and I played a lot of Sega Genesis games. <laughs> So the games that he covers are generally games that I haven't played unless they had a Sega Genesis port. But he does have a Sega Drunk subgroup where he does Sega games, which Flatterhouse was primarily on the Sega Genesis. But we didn't own it because there was violence and we wouldn't own a game called Splatterhouse. Our parents would never let us buy a game called Splatterhouse. So I didn't, I didn't have childhood memories of playing Splatterhouse, but I did recently play a bit because I thought the graphics were kind of cool based on the YouTube videos that I watched. It's got a really cool motif.
1: It's kind of a 80s slasher aesthetic to it.
0: And it's a beat-em-up, so, like, you always love beat-em-ups. So, like, you make a eighty slasher as a beat-em-up, yeah, you're. I'm, I'm gonna play that game.
1: I was also introduced to Splatterhouse through a YouTuber, though the video I watched of Splatterhouse had to have been in, like, 2008 or 2009 or so. Because I used to watch a YouTuber, I still watch him, I watched him specifically back in around the... Like 2007, 2008, 2009 period when he went by the name of the happy video game nerd. Uh, And it was a YouTuber named Derek Alexander. And uh, the Happy Video Game Nerd started out as a parody of the Angry Video Game Nerd. And it became its own like series. And specifically, he talked about obscure video games that make him happy and did a satire of like the angry nerd motif. Uh, But one of the games that he covered was Splatterhouse. um, And he talked about the OG Splatterhouse and then later did a video on the remake Splatterhouse uh, game. And currently, Derek Alexander is known as Stop Skeletons from Fighting, uh, which is a YouTube... Uh, channel that he hosts with his partner grace and they go over obscure video games to get into the history of splatterhouse uh splatterhouse was first released in 1988 by namco and i went back a little bit in our notes and i don't think we talked about namco before or if we have we've alluded to them i don't think we've gone into like the history of namco for those who might not know or if we did allude to namco i just forgot about it might not remember uh the company got its actual start back in 1955 and it was founded by Masaya nakamura who was the son of a shotgun repair business owner uh and nakamura wanted to work on shipbuilding but in the 1950s japan was going through what was called a post-war economy and that meant shipbuilding was not a venue that you could easily get into and uh he opted to go for a different line of work which was developing amusement machines which he got the idea from because his father had converted the shotgun repair business into a pop cork gun business Hmm. where they created pop cork gun toys namco's early title in these days were uh, primarily electro-mechanical games like Torpedo Launcher and Periscope. And they also created gun games, uh, with some being based on the Ultraman franchise. By the 1970s, Atari had begun releasing arcade titles in the US and Japan. And Atari Japan's president, Tanichi Takumi, approached Namco and suggested that they distribute Atari games in Japan. So Namco signed a deal with Atari Japan, which turned out to be a risky decision.
0: and with some risk comes reward, but not with this. This risky decision became a very bad kind of decision. Uh, Atari of Japan was a financial mess with reports of staff stealing from the company and nearly collapsing in the first year of operation. Things got so bad that Atari Japan's president, Takuma, stopped showing up to work. That's how bad it was it was and the japanese culture is very like pro work and like yeah. having a really strong work ethic so if you're the president and you just stop showing up That's bad. Nolan Bushnell, Atari of America's co-founder, sold the Japanese division to Namco after finding no one else to buy it. Uh, Namco acquired Atari Japan for $550,000 and as an initial payment and three yearly payments of $250,000, which is a pretty good deal for uh, a company. I mean, the company wasn't in good shape, but they could turn it around. The purchase, again, was not the best move for Namco, as the Japanese arcade market was going through. A fad of metal games where people could win tokens in exchange for cash. This may sound like gambling because it is, but the medium of the exchange of for money was done with tokens. Instead of actual cash. And it was not done in a gambling hall. It was done in an arcade. And those distinctions made it so that it was legal to do in Japan. Interestingly enough, our gambling halls also use tokens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty much how we do it.
0: Except actually with slot machines generally take straight money. However, gambling laws started to get stricter in Japan, probably because there was a bunch of people that were skirting them. (laughs) And with them being stricter, that meant that less people were playing gambling games. And instead, people still needed the distraction, so they were playing video games, like Breakout, which was brought over to Japan by Namco with massive success. So, by the late 1970s, Namco was actually considered one of the leading video game companies in Japan. In 1979, they released Galaxian, which was a smash hit, selling 40,000 arcade units in the U.S. by 1981, and 50,000 by 1982. Galaxian was quickly toppled from its throne by another Namco game, Pac-Man, which would be later renamed Pac-Man, which we've talked about before in our iconic heroes episodes
1: yeah yeah we covered the fact that the whole Puckman, man pac-man why he was called pac-man versus Puckman. man um, right. Has to do with the has to do with the f-word
0: because you don't want him to be the other way <laughs>
1: man (laughs) anyway pac-man would end up being one of the biggest successes for namco and it generated more than 14 billion dollars in revenue by 2016 and 43 million units in combined sales namco continued releasing games and a team led by hiroshi yokoyama began working on a game that would change things up in terms of how people see video games yokoyama's team while not being officially credited at the time gave the world what would become splatterhouse and what i mean by change how we see video video games i mean splatterhouse is one of those games that generated a ton of controversy on its release um it was kind of like up there with the games that like later mortal Kombat, but prior to that like death race which is like when politicians had to make a list of games that were corrupting our youth splatterhouse would be right there with them games that um joe lieberman hates splatterhouse combines the beat-em-up genre that many may be familiar with from titles like double dragon with the gore and violence of a 1980s slasher flick so instead of punching criminals you are smashing monsters with two by fours blades and a double barrel shotgun and weapons are always
0: fun in these early beat-em-up games because they were usually pretty unique as a an addition to them generally the the beat-em-up games that came out in the very late 80s, early 90s uh, were a lot of fists and punching, not a lot of picking up and hitting things. So Splatterhouse was relatively unique with the addition of the weapons that you could pick up. Now, the game draws influence from a variety of horror movies and horror content. The main character, Rick, looks a lot like a mixture between Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, wearing what looks like a hockey mask and also wearing a boiler suit. There's also inspiration from movies like Evil Dead 2 and the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. The game is a side-scrolling beat-em-up, so you're only able to move in two directions, left and right. Though later? Splatterhouses will allow a up and down movement.
1: Yeah, I think the Splatterhouse 3 for the Genesis allows it.
0: But what you lack in control, you gain in attacks. From punches and jumping attacks to the vast variety of weapons available as we discussed. With each smash of your weapon, the monsters will be splattered across the screen or wall in various states of goriness. Which that's why you bought the game, because it's gore. And really that's a big selling point. Back then, I think even today, sometimes people still buy games because they're violent. And the, the game's violent was used as a selling point. With the TurboGrafx-16 port containing the advisory warning on it, horrifying theme of this game may be inappropriate for young children and cowards because this was before ESRB, so they could put whatever they wanted. The arcade version, the cabinet of the game, also contained an advisory. It was one of the first arcade cabinets to actually contain an advisory.
1: Uh, and that was a big deal back then. I mean, for many people, they would walk into an arcade and you would see a cabinet. And the only way you would know what was going on in that game was through the artwork, which was often misleading, or through the attract mode. And the attract mode, yeah, it would show you what was going on, but I don't know. You, you, you're not going to get probably the, the full picture of what the game Games like. So it was games like Splatterhouse and later Mortal Kombat that really did, I think, draw people in just because of the sheer violence of them. I
0: feel like one of the reasons why violence is important in video games is because it adds to the gameplay of it so there is a definite satisfaction that comes through with uh having a beat up game that gives weight to your character's punches and like gives it so that it actually feels like you're connecting with somebody and certain beat up games do better like sales wise because they have a better and more like heavy combat system and i think people understand what i'm talking about when they when i'm saying like if you don't have, like, a true, like... If it doesn't feel like you're connecting with somebody or the sound isn't right, you're just... It's not gonna be as fun as, like, Streets of Rage or something like that where the sound is good. And Splatterhouse had that, right? Splatterhouse had really good sound. had really good atmosphere. And that violence really played up the gameplay because, ultimately, the story, as Zach's gonna get into in a moment, isn't truly, like, anything earth-shattering. So you're not playing these games for the story. And, really, arcade cabinet producers really didn't necessarily... They didn't want to create a story, right? If you created something like with a story that wasn't just gimmicking people into the game, you were maybe wasting time. Like, I guess like what those dragons were, which had a story, but like, I'm trying to think of any other arcade games that had like a significant story that weren't just like concentrating on the gameplay.
1: Well, the plot of Splatterhouse uh, follows Rick Taylor and Jennifer Willis, who are a couple and also two parapsychology students. Parapsychology being the study of the paranormal. And they decide to take shelter on a rainy, rainy night in a haunted mansion called the Splatter House. And this haunted mansion is called this because of experiments that were conducted by one Dr. West, a uh, scientist who has quite the reputation and currently is missing. They enter the mansion, and Rick is quickly knocked out and suddenly awakens in a dungeon. Uh, but he does just like wake up in. dungeon he is resurrected in the dungeon because he died and he's brought back to life through the use of the hell mask which is an ancient artifact that belongs to dr west and he kept it in his dungeon for some reason the mask is sentient and attaches itself and fuses to rick uh, and he gains superhuman strength and with the mask's approval begins to go on a rampage Killing anything that's in his path. And Rick does eventually find Jennifer. But as a spoiler, this is a pretty big spoiler. Jennifer has mutated into a fanged monster. And she attacks you and tries to kill you. And you have to kill her. So you kill Jennifer. She turns back to normal and she thanks you for putting her out of her suffering. And then Rick gets really mad and he just goes and kills every other monster that's there. Finally, he has to destroy the final monster, which is called the Hell Chaos. In the end, Rick is turned back to normal, and uh, the mask is destroyed, and he flees the house, which is currently on fire. However, there's kind of like a oh, it's not a post-credit scene because there's no credits in an arcade game, but there is kind of like a pre-end scene, like a almost like a Marvel stinger. And that is the mask after being destroyed reforms itself, lets out an evil laugh, flies away
0: and the story continues in splatterhouse 2 and 3 and all that jazz yeah
1: yeah the mask finds rick again it refuses to him
0: splatterhouse the original uh, did pretty well when it released uh in japan it quickly made its way to being one of the most popular arcade games with the magazine game machine which is a reputable japanese magazine that we generally use for referencing things because they were around and doing it they ranked it at number six in nineteen. it also equally scored positive reviews on release in Europe and North America, though it was criticized for a lack of variety in terms of actual gameplay, because you walk to the right and you punch things. And the game really does—I I think even the bosses—you're really beating them the same way that you beat all the mobs, I guess, throughout the game. So there, there is—that so is a criticism that's valid. The PC Engine Turbo Graphics 16 port of the game were highly praised for its accurate recreating of the game. And were also criticized for being toned down in terms of violence. I believe in the TurboGrafx port, there was green goo. Instead mm-hmm. of blood, and then the Sega Genesis did include the blood when Sega version had it. Splatterhouse received multiple ports with some various changes. The TurboGrafx-16 version became one of the more popular releases when it came out in North America, though the version of the game had some changes, such as Rick's mask being turned red, probably because it was released in America and they wanted to make it avoid it look like. Jason's masks, uh, because they didn't want to get sued. It's funny because when they released the game in Japan, they don't—they don't particularly care because the American lawyers can't get you in Japan, but they can get you in America. <laughs> also, various religious imagery was uh, changed, and they took it out that's the thing that happens a lot when it comes to japanese ports into um, the american market because the japanese aren't very
1: christian over there it's not necessarily that i think it's just a different culture christianity is in japan it's just like there's no taboo to like show religious imagery and stuff
0: where especially back in the 90s bringing stuff over with a lot of religious imagery especially with violence was not a thing that flew in america (laughs) (laughs) it could probably fly now Feel like we're a little bit more tolerant of like shocking
1: video games,
0: but not only did uh, they do this for Splatterhouse, they did this for various other. Nintendo did this a lot. They censored. Yeah, a lot there's
1: of... there's entire games that never came out in America because of religious imagery.
0: But I don't think it. All the censoring that ever really happened on video games was uh, in the American market was done as self-censoring. The the government never demanded a game to be censored. Going back to the um, TurboGrafx-16 version from that extremely long tangent, the port also toned down the violence and gore a bit and the enemies bled less and sound effects were less visceral. As we talked about, when sequels came out, they amped it back up. The game would also go on to get released for Windows, the FM Towns Marty, the iOS, and the BlackBerry.
1: I'm sure everyone loved playing splatterhouse on the blackberry now in 1989 the year after the arcade game namco released a parody of the arcade game called splatterhouse wampaku graffiti for the famicom oh i'm familiar with that game <laughs> i think you might be uh this takes a uh, much of the elements of the arcade game and makes them a bit more chibi style chibi being like cutesy and also satirizes the story of splatterhouse and seth will talk a bit about more of that in a retro rewind now a sequel to splatterhouse called splatterhouse 2 was released on the sega genesis uh in 1992 that came out uh and a sequel following this came out splatterhouse 3 in 1993 and Splatter Splatterhouse 3 was actually one of the first games to be given an MA13 rating by the Video Game Rating Console, which was a predecessor to the ESRB. The Video Game Rating Console was like a Sega-specific predecessor to the ESRB. Finally, a reimagining and reboot of the series was released in 2010 for the Xbox 360 and PS3, just under the name Splatterhouse. And I think this version also comes with the original three games as uh, ports that you can play. Splatterhouse Reimagining had mixed reviews, uh, with some being very impressed by it, and by the soundtrack, the graphics, and the voice acting. Others being less impressed by the difficulty, or the glitches, or the repetitive gameplay. And I've seen some videos of Splatterhouse uh, 2010. I haven't played it myself. And I heard that from a Splatterhouse fan perspective, it's a pretty fun game, but as someone who's trying to get into the Splatterhouse series and has no experience with Splatterhouse, they probably don't want to play that as their first Splatterhouse game so it might be like a bit down the line if you're getting into the Splatterhouse mood to try out the 360 version but don't make it your first go
0: I th- I feel like the um all of the Splatterhouse 1, 2, and 3 they all hold up when it comes to gameplay and it really depends on if you if you're like a completionist like me and want to play one two and three in order or if you just want to play a fun beat-em-up game then maybe just play three i f- feel like especially with games of this era the linearity uh generally the sequels that came out tended to be better because they just had better technology though so, splatterhouse i think my favorite part about splatterhouse is its name
1: it's a good name it tells you everything about the game right yeah like if i was like if i was hanging out with some people and i was like i want to play a game called splatterhouse you probably don't need to like guess what that game looks like yeah like like,
0: you probably already in your head when somebody says splatterhouse without ever seeing any artwork for the game are already picturing who the main character is yeah right yeah (laughs) like in your head you're probably like he looks like this and it's probably not far from the truth
1: and uh with that that's our splatterhouse episode we are now getting to our retro rewind and seth i think it makes most sense for you to come first because uh you covered a little topic that was very close to this episode
0: right so Zack had me playing Splatterhouse Wampaku Graffiti, which was originally released, as we discussed, in 1989, but only in Japan. It was uh, developed by Now Productions, published by Namco, and it is a side-scrolling beat-em-up that involves uh, some jumping, and it was developed for the Famicom, which makes it kind of the only splatterhouse game published on like the, a vague nintendo thing
1: yeah i think it is the only splatterhouse game that is on a nintendo console but not and and not like a port of it or something right, so like right, right. the turbo graphics version of splatterhouse was on the wii virtual console but right, like but that, doesn't, that count. doesn't count to me yeah
0: so splatterhouse Wampaku graffiti was the only splatterhouse game that was developed for nintendo console it is a parody 100 of splatterhouse where all the characters are chibi, which I have learned is also for super deformed.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: If you're not familiar with chibi or super deformed style of artistry, they are essentially drawn like caricatures where their features are exaggerated. They tend to be short, they tend to be round, and they tend to have stubby appendages while having giant heads. You play as, I was going to say Jason, but it's obviously not Jason. (laughs) You play as Rick in the game. It starts off, you're in a great graveyard and you're hanging out with your lady and the mask comes and then you become rick and i think the lady gets k- taken away and then you have to traverse across this graveyard punching creatures it's for the famicom so there is a directional button and a a button and a b button one of the buttons punches and the other button jumps and it has platforming elements those platforming elements are you jumping over holes it's actually pretty fun i had two moments where i actually uh laughed not out loud. Me laughing is unusual for games because I generally don't laugh at games that are trying to be deliberately funny, uh, which Splatterhouse uh, Wampaku Graffiti is definitely trying to be funny the first boss of the game is a vampire and they actually dance to thriller in a wonderful 8-bit little uh jingle uh and they dance with four different creatures of the black lagoon or at least creatures that look like the creature of the black lagoon so like a green little fish creature and then once the song is done the vampire pelts you with three different balls that look like pumpkins very quickly that you have to avoid, all while the multiple creatures of the Black Lagoon spawn and attack you in crazy numbers. The one thing that I have to comment is this boss fight is dramatically more difficult than the rest of the level. Like the rest of the level is, I would say, borderline easy. You have to jump and hit things, and they're generally pretty slow and you can get to them. The boss is very difficult. I had a difficult time beating the boss. I'm also bad at games. Uh So that may be why. Now, one of the cool factors I liked is that there's no time. And if you killed 10 creatures, you got some of your life back. And when you're playing against the boss, that 10 kills has to go... That goes up to 20 kills. Fun game. Definitely worth the playthrough if you enjoy Splatterhouse. Or if you want to play a fun little NES-style beat-em-up game, definitely check it out. It is a little tough, but most Nintendo NES games are. And for next week, Zach... I want you to play claw. From 1997 for the PC.
1: All right, sounds good. Well, Seth had me play a game that I've definitely talked about on this podcast because we had a whole episode dedicated to this game. And that is Doom from 1993. Doom was created by id Software, of course. And uh, yeah, we've talked about it a lot before, so I don't know what else I can say. It's one of those games I can literally always go back and play. So I'm really happy, Seth, let me play this really fun game. Talking about Doom though, from from a perspective of someone who loves Doom, I think the thing that I love most about Doom is literally just the first level. E1M1 is what it's called. It just starts off so heavy in terms of the music. Like the music is right in your face. Uh, It just puts you immediately into a mood to do exactly what you're going to do. And that's kill a bunch of demons with a wide variety of weapons. Personally, I think vanilla Doom, like OG, original Doom, and Doom 2 are far superior to any mod of Doom, excluding Chex Quest. What I mean, though, is that there are tons of mods that add more violence, update the weapons, update the graphics. I've seen mods that do lighting effects. No, 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 no. All of that is awful. I want OG Doom. No special effects. No extra blood original Doom. Nothing beats the original. So does Doom hold up? Absolutely, of course it does. And why wouldn't it? It's available on every single thing possible. When Seth was like, you should play Doom, I honestly thought to myself, which version of Doom should I play? Because there are so many versions of Doom out there. I ended up playing uh, just one of the original versions through a source port called uh, PR Boom, which is uh, one of the more accurate source ports out there to the original experience. But uh, next week, Seth, I want you to take a walk down in lane and i want you to play wolfenstein 3d
0: oh excellent i will enjoy this
1: and with that that's it for our episode thank you everyone for listening happy halloween to everyone out there stay spooky and stay safe in a few weeks on the 11th seth and i will be going live for extra life for 24 hours from november 11th to november 12th and we will be playing a wide variety of games Maybe we'll play Doom. Maybe we'll play Wampaku Graffiti. Who knows? We're still coming up with our schedule, but uh keep an eye out on all of our social media channels. And by doing that, you can visit Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, or Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are Classic Gaming Brothers. Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Be sure to also go to our website. You can listen to our podcast there and let your friends know that they can listen to us anywhere that podcasts are available. And with that, that's it. Do you have anything to add?
0: Don't play games like my brother.
1: And don't play games like my brother.
0: I've been Seth. And I have been Zach. We've been the Classic Gaming Brothers.
1: That's That's right. Right.